everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum, and your host for this Throwback FTLY podcast. Like our museum, this podcast's mission is to help present the extraordinary history and unique heritage of the fire department in the five boroughs. Each episode, we turn a spotlight on three specific years and share a story from each that we hope brings the fire department's past to life. I also encourage you to go to nycfiremuseum.org and sign up for our companion Throwback FDNY newsletter. Each edition of our newsletter will provide pictures and more interesting information. It's definitely a must for FDNY history buffs of all ages. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, the 1891 launch of the Fireboat New Yorker, firefighter Edward Thompson's 1962 appointment to fire commissioner, and the department's first foray into computerization in 1980. New York Harbor has been a bustling port of call for centuries. It's easy to find old photographs of the Manhattan and Brooklyn shores in its heyday, lined with pier after pier to accommodate all sorts of ship traffic. And hundreds of structures along the shoreline served various industries. The harbor helped the city grow into an economic powerhouse. The FDNY's ability to fight shipboard and shoreline fires took a major leap forward in 1891, for in that year, the Fireboat New Yorker was commissioned. At the time, it was the most powerful fireboat in the world, and certainly its most famous. Fireboat New Yorker had a pumping capacity of 12,000 gallons per minute. To offer you some perspective, its predecessors could pump three to 6,000 gallons per minute. Fireboat New Yorker was the first to have a steel hull. Other fireboats were wood or iron. The boat drew much attention from the major newspapers of the day. And remember, this is before television, radio, or even moving pictures. Fireboat New Yorker graced the cover of Scientific American and was even profiled in the popular Harper's Weekly magazine. The New Yorker was the talk of the town and one of the most popular postcard images at a time when postcards were wildly popular. New Yorker postcards include images of the vessel underway, at dock, and in operation. I'll include some of these in the newsletter. Another innovation that came along with the New Yorker was land-based quarters for the ship's crew. Before then, FDNY members stayed on board at all times. The New Yorker's quarters were at the tip of Manhattan by Castle Garden. And just to note, a lot of people think that the New Yorker's quarters were at Pier A, a beautiful, popular building that housed FDNY Marine companies until the 1990s. But that's not the case. The department didn't move in there until the 1960s. The New Yorker's dedicated quarters was its own standalone building, complete with a tower surrounded with a lookout terrace. It was between Pier A and Castle Clinton, where you now go to get your Statue of Liberty Ellis Island tickets. Unfortunately, the beautiful building no longer exists. The New Yorker was given the FDNY designation of Engine Company 57, and then later Engine 77. New York's fireboats did not get their own identity as marine companies until 1959, becoming Marine 1, 2, 3, etc. Before that, they were known simply as floating engine companies. The museum's permanent collection has a wonderful image of the crew of the New Yorker posing on board. We also have a collection of artifacts from many of the department's other fireboats. And now a message from the president of the New York City Fire Museum's Board of Trustees. 
Hello everyone, I'm Ted Grant, the president of the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees. On behalf of the board, we thank you for listening to the Throwback FTNY podcast. Since 1870, our museum has sought to preserve, educate, and celebrate the heroic history of the men and women of the fire department in New York. In 1987, we found a permanent home in Lower Manhattan in the renovated 1904 Beaux Arts Firehouse that had served as the quarters of Engine 30. Inside, our impressive collection illustrates the evolution of the fire department from its origins through today. Our Fire Safety Learning Center is a hub for school children to learn about the importance of fire prevention. Our museum is also home to the first permanent memorial to the New York City Fire Department members lost on September 11, 2001. We hope that everyone who has come to visit the FDNY 343 Memorial since 2002 has been provided a place to reflect on the fire department's darkest day while coming face to face with our fallen heroes. Please stay up to date with us and learn more about our exhibitions, online catalog, and browse our museum shop online at nycfiremuseum.org. Again, thank you for listening, and now back to the episode. You know, when we say we're going to talk about fire department history, it's often destructive, ferocious fires that first come to mind. Infamous and even scary images that are seared into our collective memory as a city. But there's more to our history than disastrous fires. In fact, one aspect of fire department history that we love to present at the New York City Fire Museum is the stories of individual members who have answered the call to serve. From early firefighters to present-day paramedics, the department's thousands of members make up its heart and soul. There are so many people that have passed through the department's ranks, we will never run out of profiles to include in our podcast. In this episode, I'd like to talk about Commissioner Edward Thompson. For many of you, Commissioner Thompson may be someone you remember during the course of your lifetime or as part of your recollections of the FDNY. In 1962, Mayor Robert Wagner appointed Judge Thompson to be the 19th Fire Commissioner of the City of New York. The Honorable Judge started his career as a New York City firefighter. Commissioner Thompson was born in Queens. He was educated in New York City public schools. When enrolled in Brooklyn Law School, he got called up to join the FDNY. Records show that he was number one on the department's firefighter eligibility list. He was first assigned to Ladder 101 in Brooklyn. After graduating from law school and passing the bar exam, Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia appointed him as assistant corporate counsel for the city and tasked him with organizing the FDNY's legal division. He also gave him the rank of acting lieutenant, a rank that later became a permanent promotion. But in between, World War II broke out, and Thompson went on military leave from the department to join the U.S. Navy. During the war, he served in the South Pacific and was instrumental in establishing a shipped salvage and firefighting base for the 7th Fleet. While in the Philippines, he helped rebuild the Manila Fire Department and train new members. For this, he received a commendation from the mayor and the chief of the Manila Fire Department. Another commendation came from the U.S. Navy for his role in extinguishing a fire aboard a barge loaded with highly combustible nylon and oxygen cylinders. In a most unique ceremony held overseas, Thompson was sworn in as a New York City magistrate by Commodore William Sullivan as the proxy for Mayor LaGuardia. Upon his return to the States, Judge Thompson left the department and continued to serve as a jurist until he was appointed as fire commissioner in 1962. 
Among his many achievements as commissioner, he signed a contract for the construction of a unique piece of firefighting apparatus, the powerful FDNY super pumper system. Commissioner Thompson held this post for two years until he retired from the FDNY. We have many original photographs in the museum's permanent collection documenting the career of Commissioner Thompson, as well as one of the department's valor medals named in his honor. The New York City Fire Museum store can be found online at fdnymuseumshop.org. Exclusive merchandise includes our classic, superior quality NYC Fire Museum t-shirt featuring our treasured Brooklyn Engine Company 8 steam pumper and other museum artifacts. The back includes a firefighter scramble that was the museum's original logo. This one-of-a-kind shirt comes in adult sizes from small to double XL. Proceeds help support our preservation and educational programs. To browse additional apparel and products that celebrate the history of the fire department in New York City, go to fdnymuseumshop.org. That's fdnymuseumshop.org. Now more than ever, the New York City Fire Museum needs your support to pursue our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate now, back to the episode. FDNY's first foray into computerization came in 1980. It was called Starfire. How fires get reported has evolved over the centuries, from the early rattle watches of New Amsterdam, through watchtowers throughout Manhattan, street fire alarm boxes, to the cell phones of today. But once a notification is received from any source, FDNY assets must be dispatched in an organized and prioritized system. Until 1980, that was all done manually, based on two key components. A location identified by the nearest fire alarm box, and a card with that box number listing the companies to respond in priority order. Beginning in 1968, FDNY began researching the evolution of the alarm dispatch system. This was at a time when there was an incredible increase in fires, in fact, very large fires throughout the city that put an extreme burden on the response of available apparatus. The thought to move to a system whereby computers could track apparatus and help make decisions was a necessity. But designing, acquiring, building, and implementing such a system in the country's largest fire service with five separate dispatch centers and over 800 potentially responding fire units was a humongous undertaking. The first time the system went operational was on a limited basis in Brooklyn only. Three years later, once completed in 1980, the fully functional Starfire was comprised of 14 main computers, 12 microcomputer systems, and 500 computer terminals. It's not easy to summarize the system, but here goes. In the late 60s, there were more than 16,000 street fire alarm boxes that accounted for many, if not most, of the alarms. With the new system, if someone activated an alarm box, it would transmit a signal directly to the Starfire computer. If the notification came in via telephone, the information would be entered into the computer by the call taker. When the alarm was entered into the system, Starfire would identify the fire apparatus that should respond, which showed up on the dispatcher's screen. From there, a call went out to the appropriate companies, either via teleprinter in the firehouse or by radio if they were in the field at the time. The system also had a number of features built into it to track the activities of fire companies, all of which could generate statistical data. The amount of time between alarm receipt, dispatch, arrival at scene, and return to availability could all be documented. 
This data could be used to drive key operational decisions. Forty years after its introduction, Starfire still plays a role in the FDNY dispatch system. To say the least, a lot has changed since 1980. But the basic element of electronically receiving information and using it to provide critical information that drives life-saving decisions cannot be overlooked for its historic significance. We have an interesting array of street fire alarm boxes on display at the New York City Fire Museum. In fact, visitors can activate one of the alarm boxes and hear how it rung out its signal in the firehouse. And now I'd like to introduce you to our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, I will test your knowledge of the department by jogging your memory with a question about a fact from our previous show. Here we go. After lessons learned at the 1912 Equitable Building Fire, the FDNY formed its first rescue company, a unit equipped with specialized gear not carried by other companies. It was a strategic move that was a direct result of the foresight of which former FDNY chief of department? The answer can be found in our previous episode and in this month's installment of our companion Throwback FDNY newsletter. We are experiencing history in the making right now. The COVID-19 pandemic that had New York City and the rest of the country come to a screeching halt also put unprecedented burdens on the FDNY. Members responded to calls for help at a volume never seen before. Almost 6,500 calls for medical assistance just in one day, more than double the average busy day. The New York City Fire Museum will document this activity in an exhibition entitled Unmasking Our Heroes. We are asking you, the public, to express your gratitude to the FDNY, especially if you had firsthand interactions, by visiting our website, www.nycfiremuseum.org slash thanks FDNY to send your message or to find out how you can contribute artifacts like signs, posters, or cards. Thank you for supporting our mission. Thank you all for listening. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you with the help of the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official nonprofit organization of the department. Thank you to the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees, our staff, volunteers, and of course, our museum members. And again, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this. We can all do our part to be a partner to the fire department by promoting fire safety. It starts in each of our homes by ensuring we all have a working smoke and carbon monoxide alarm. Thank you and be safe. <laughs>